And it's literally on your phone, like, so there's really no excuse. <laughs> Okay, welcome everyone. This is episode 24. Uh, This is the second of a three-parter called Heading North to Meet the Dawn. And I'm sure those of you who are following the project more closely or have been bored to death in person by either James or I with the stories of our adventures will probably guess where we're ultimately headed next week. But for today, we're going to look at four places up north, uh, which means different things to different people, depending on where you live. Uh, I often get criticised by my friends for talking about up north uh, uh, as I'm generally uh, heading off to Belfast at some point in the month to visit my family. James, uh, what does up north mean to you? Well, generally it means Canada, but I guess if we're looking for <laughs> a, uh, in a Japanese context, I would say um, good sake, very good sake, good rice, uh, nice hot springs, and a lot of really grey and depressed cities. I mean, being from New York and Brooklyn, I thought you were going to say Harlem. I think that would have been a cooler answer than Canada. <laughs> no, well, and, no, well, everything in New York is not, yeah, we wouldn't consider that north, east or west. It's just actually that'd just be the city. And, and pretty much everything across from the Hudson River is just out there. I mean, shouldn't not really pay much attention to it. But uh, <laughs> I'll save my, my, my New York pride for we a don't different want, podcast that we're working on. We don't want any New York beef on this, uh, on this no. uh, podcast. I've been watching uh, Hip Hop Evolution all week on Netflix. It's oh, taking me right back. Yet. It's oh, good? it's amazing. It's taking yeah. me right back to the glory, the, the glory days, the golden era uh, of hip hop when I was really into it uh, big time. Uh, and it's so nice. I've been listening to that kind of tune all week. So if I do spontaneously break into freestyle at any point, you'll understand why. Um, and uh, actually, I mean, I'm grateful too to hip hop because uh, through that, obviously, it was what got me uh, much deeper into soul music and jazz uh, because of obviously the sampling and all the breaks that are used in it. Uh, and it's brought me to this point today in terms of the project and everything else so yeah it was a really nice trip down memory lane and um yeah i've had some heavy heavy tunes from that era on rotation all week on the headphones so this week in the queue i've got that in the queue for after uh after basketball season ends but it's definitely one on my radar you know having grown up in in the 80s especially uh buying mixtapes you know outside the subway station that's uh that's definitely going to be right up my street uh, but today, yes, it? we are going. Uh, we are going up north. Um, you mentioned for part two, um, and we're going to be starting. And this is not a Beatle joint, despite the name. Uh, where are we starting, Philip? We're starting in Abbey Road, and you're right. Yeah, of course. Obviously, immediate association there with the Beatles. It actually builds itself, as you can see from the pictures. If you're looking at the website, TokyoJazzJoints.com forward slash Abbey Road. It's actually jazz and audio salon, which sounds uh, very fancy. But uh, for those of you who are listening last week to our episode uh, where we finished up at the fantastic Ray Brown, you'll probably see some similarities. And certainly when I went here um, off the back of 
of a trip uh, that I was doing by myself. I think, James, we'd been together. We parted ways amicably uh, at the station and I headed off to find this place on my own. I think I'd been photographing up in the regions that had been quite badly hit by the earthquake in 2011. And before I left Japan, I, went, I wanted to go back there uh, and re-photograph the places just to see how much they had uh, changed and developed since that time. And this was kind of a little happy detour um, as I was um, heading back down um, to Tokyo. And what a place. I mean, again, just in the middle of really nothing. Uh, you can see from the initial shot outside, it's very much uh, that classic suburban Japanese neighbourhood. Uh, Abbey Road's on the left there in the white building. And again, it's in the bottom of this guy's house. And it, in some ways, it, the experience of going there was very similar to Fukushima, uh, when when we talked about Mingus, because I mm. turned up, uh, this guy was just pottering around on his own, wasn't expecting any customers, certainly at that time of the day, uh, and again, invited me in, uh, very generous, very kind guy, chatted away to me, showed me around, switched on the stereo system, put some tunes on, uh, and just uh, a really nice place, a, a hidden gem, I suppose, not to... Uh, to, to kind of use a cliche um, but yeah you can see from that slightly odd portrait of him that he uh, allowed me to take it looks very posed I think he was genuinely smoking at the time but there's something about the way he's holding that cigarette it just looks like I've said to him can you just hold the cigarette like you're about to take a puff but again you can see behind there a uh, nice stereo system and a pretty impressive record collection as well and what a sound system I and mean, again for the audiophiles that are listening I mean it's just mind blowing the size of it in this little uh, prefab Japanese suburban home. Uh, yeah, you can imagine place. that it, it's the kind of thing that he would have put together uh, over a period of years in his house. And, you know, we've seen this before, places like Brooklyn, uh, when we were in Chiba. Um, guys who've retired, we're going to be coming up for another story like that, someone's house a little later on. Um, but And then he's got all the records in there. I love the portrait of him because you can see not only the coffee maker, but whatever that flyer is right next to his arm that says sound power. Power, yeah, um, yeah, which was just kind of poking, peeking over the counter. Um, yeah, wonderful portrait, and you know it's really interesting actually because the name, it is a, obviously a jazz joint, um, despite being named Abbey Road. Probably because you know we tend to focus on the Beatles aspect of Abbey Road and not the studio part, which is clearly he's an audiophile, and it's probably in, in a tribute to the actual studios um, themselves yeah. in London. Um, funny, you know, there are there's a Let It Be, um, a Hey Jude, and a Lady Madonna uh, all in Tokyo, which I've never been to any of them. I'm not a huge hmm. Beatles guy, but um, certainly I'm sure there's somebody out there who's done a Beatles in Japan podcast. There's certainly enough um, stories and information <laughs> that you could get a good series out of it. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely this guy's audio system looks absolutely remarkable were there any other customers that day that you were there no there wasn't again it was just one of those happy um happy opportunities really where i i turned up uh i think it was sort of middle of the day again you know kind of lonely walk from a station with not much around it um and you know just trusting google maps to get me there and, and lo and behold of course you turn a corner and you, you see it um and uh he was just there on his own having a coffee uh, having a cigarette uh, and um listening to some tunes um, well, from the menu you can uh, obviously there's you know he's not out there trying to bring in a big crowd menu hot coffee only uh okay that's look that's all you really need i mean uh you're sitting in a jazz cafe that's fine i love the little bag he's got there of guatemalan beans on the left as well yeah i but mean it seems taken, like a pretty uh, more frills place 
Yeah, it's taking minimal to its uh, extreme, I'd say, in terms of menus. Uh, it's interesting, too. I was looking at that photo earlier and it made me think, you know, like 700 yen for anyone listening overseas or, or who's not living in Japan, rather. Uh, you know, that's about $7, maybe, you know, six, seven euros, which is expensive for a cup of coffee, right, in any, in, in any country. Um, and it always reminds me again, you know, that like a lot of these places for many years and decades in some cases have been doing the whole, you know, buying single origin beans, uh, grinding them themselves mm. uh, and knocking out these beautiful filter coffees that, you know, now we're paying for uh, in these kind of third generation coffee places. But actually all along in Japan, there's been this really big coffee culture um, and it's definitely been, you know, inex inextricably linked with the with the jazz joint scene. Um, and uh, you can guarantee there, if you're paying 700 yen for that coffee, uh, it's definitely going to be uh, worth drinking and not well, sort also, of... Well, you know, remember, we've and we've said this before, um, you know, you're paying, yeah, you're paying a lot more. Six six to $7 is, is a steep fee for a cup of coffee. But you're staying in the place for a couple hours. You're really paying for the chair and the music. And so, you know, I always tell people, I had to actually write um, a, a long thing on my own website, Tokyo Jazz Site explaining this because um, people were confused. They said, why Why are the beers and, and why is the coffee so expensive in these little dingy jazz joints? And I said, well, you know, look at it. You're, you're going in there. You're not going in there to drink. You're going in there to listen to music library. So when you think of it that way, that's not a big price to pay. Um, also, you know, things are more expensive in Japan. Rent is very, very expensive. It's not cheap to run these places. And it's certainly not cheap to put together the audio systems that these guys have. So they have to keep the prices a little bit up, you know? Um, it's not the tour, to use a local cheap uh, coffee chain example. Yeah. Um, you know, these I mean, are very special places and, and you're going to be paying accordingly. Yeah, and I think like, you know, I mean, again, nowadays a lot of people go into ca cafes, but get a coffee, or a drink and, you know, maybe sit in three, four or five hours using it as a, as a personal office. Mm. And, uh, you know, similarly here, you know, you're going there, you get a coffee and you may be sitting for two, three hours. And particularly not, not so much maybe Abbey Road, it's a very local place, but, you know, some of the other places we've been to in bigger cities, if you've got three, four or five seats, maybe you've got to maximise uh, your profits uh, as much as you can. And if people are in there for two, three hours listening to different albums, mm. um, you know, two, three hundred yen for a coffee is not going to uh, make you much money. Mm. Um, not that maybe, not that there's any jazz joint owners that are flush anyway, but certainly like why not at least uh, <laughs> Uh, try your best to make a little bit of money if you can. But yeah, Abbey Road, beautiful place. Again, not somewhere you're likely to come across. I, I, it's in Miyagi Prefecture, not far from Ishinomaki, which of course gained notoriety um, after the tsunami hit in 2011. Uh, most yeah. of the town was destroyed. A lot of people lost their lives. And uh, it's a short train ride from there. But certainly if you're in that area uh, or you fancy taking a little detour, I, I'd highly recommend checking out Abbey Road. You can see as well there on the sign, he's taken the bold move of putting his mobile phone number under the logo so uh, you can ring ahead and check and see if he's open um, and uh, if you do go uh, give uh, him our regards from Tokyo Jazz Joints so where are we off to next James? Well now we are going up into the mountains um, into the very beautiful Yamagata Prefecture uh, and surprisingly you know Yamagata is a very very rural part of Japan um, Yamagata City the capital of the prefecture is a, is a fairly small town um, pretty nondescript it's a gateway though to a wonderful region of hot springs mountain temples the famous Yamadera which literally means mountain temple you have to climb 4,000 steps to get to the top uh, which I did do. It's absolutely wonderful. Allegedly. Um, 
Did you? I've got the photographic evidence. There's documentary which, evidence. Yeah, okay, is, we'll put yes. that on the uh, we'll put that so, on social media just to make sure it's verified. Certainly can verify that. And uh, well, what's interesting is the day that I climbed it. Um, I, when I came back down is when I started doing some of the jazz uh, cafe, you know, hunting, um, including this place, which is uh, how would you describe Kohan? I mean, to me, it feels like a neighborhood, one of like the most ultimate uber examples of a neighborhood cafe completely um for local customers you know i don't know what kind of reception you got uh when you went there because we went here separately when i went in partially happy but partially disappointed i was happy because it was full of customers but i was sad because i didn't i didn't have the chance i didn't get the chance to talk to him because he was really busy going back and forth making coffee and drinks you know and and it was around lunchtime too so maybe there was some snacks coming out I, i can't remember that but yeah the place was pretty much full i had to sit um in one of the few empty seats at the counter wow that's interesting because so this place i think i went to it first didn't i yes you did you yeah told me and about it. i mean to me i mean this i mean the 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 outside for example the exterior just looks like something from like a, a movie set from the 60s from 60s japan i mean the the, the logo the the uh, typography and even the door just I mean it's just like you couldn't create it now I think it's just it looks like of an era uh, and I actually I'm so glad that I went here because it's one place that really sticks in my head um, and I know that we were on I was on my way to another place in Yamagata that we're going to talk about next but actually I kind of just made the effort to get around here and it wasn't particularly easy I think it was kind of like I was on a timetable with trains and whatnot and um, I jumped in a taxi in the end um, and spun around to this place and God I'm glad I did because when I got there there was no one there um, you know, again, we got, I got the usual reaction when I slid open the door, the slightly confused, sort of bemused look um, on the owner's <laughs> face, which again, you know, the in, and the inside reflects the exterior. I mean, you can see it looks again like it's something from a film set. Uh, that picture of him reading the papers um, and the speakers behind him, this sort of red vinyl 60s, kind of 50s, 60s Everything look. about that picture I really love because, I mean, you've got the, that unbelievable payphone, which you, yep. we've yep. always talked about whenever we see one of these. And for some reason, they're always pink. It's as if, like, in the 1960s, they only made pink payphones. <laughs> yeah. Because we've seen this in ramen shops and in jazz cafes. But, yeah, you've got that. You've got that, that sort of maroon-colored, you know, vinyl seating, um, the counter with the ashtrays. And what's with those speakers we've got to get some audio guests on the show to, to, to yeah, tell us about insane. that design i've not seen that design of, of a speaker before in any of the joints we've been to right i mean it's the fact that it even it just you know being a bit of a design nerd and coordination <laughs> um obsessed i mean it's just it even matches the chair i mean the whole place is just mm. so beautifully put together and i kind of sat over at the back wall deliberately because i thought you know obviously it gives you a better vantage point to take some photos and uh, once i'd asked him to 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 shoot uh, i started taking a few uh, taking a few pictures here and there and um eventually got involved in a conversation with him and he was fairly difficult to follow i think he spoke in quite a obviously quite old and he spoke in a fairly uh, strong regional dialect so you know i was kind of doing my best to keep up but uh 
he started to bring out various bits and pieces and I actually think um, re- rethinking it now that photograph of him he's not actually reading the newspaper he produced kind of like a shoebox of different bits of paper and I think maybe letters that people had written to him in the past mm. that were interested in the jazz joints but I think what sticks out for me um, from a sort of memorabilia point of view is these incredible brochures that he had sitting around and I think I mentioned this on a previous episode but they were literally just sitting around like you would have magazines in a waiting room at the doctors. Uh, you can see there's a photograph of the Art Blakey one and then of course the uh, only time Coltrane tour Japan in 66 um, and they were just sat there. There was a couple behind me on the chair, there was a couple on the table and I he mean, brought just, out a just few treasures, other ones. Treasures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely priceless and yet mm. you know they were just there, not even in sleeves or anything mm. and again it just shows you how well uh, and carefully people look after stuff in japan mm. and, and i mean and, look, and, and yet again another in in a recurring series <laughs> of owners with photos of unbelievable jazz musicians in japan yeah. Yeah. um i think some of our our more heavy jazz fans will recognize the faces in this picture but uh, if you can't this is the owner at the yamagata performance hall with max roach reggie workman and billy harper i mean think <laughs> about that band i mean from the clothes in the band i know what rough it's it's the mid 70s but i mean holy shit i mean imagine going to that gig up in yamagata of all places you know uh, emphasizing one more time i know i've done this on so many episodes when we go to the regions of japan but this is very far from tokyo and at the time the, the yeah. bullet train the shinkansen would not have been going up there so you're talking about a four to five hour train ride up into the mountains i mean this is like having your jazz gods visit a small cafe in some place like idaho or montana yeah, just pretty yeah. much unthinkable and yet in japan not only were these guys going to play they were staying up there for a few days and these owners who helped to promote the gigs like we We've talked about other places like Mokuba and Guma. They were hanging out with them after the shows. I mean, that's just a different era, man. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Um, he, I'm not sure how old he was. I would guess just from the picture that he was probably in his 80s. But you well, know, he looks in his he looks in his at least in his mid to late 40s in the picture with right, Max yeah. Roach and and yeah. from Max's spectacularly beautiful plaid jacket i mean that could only be sometime in the early to mid 70s right i guess so, so yeah so, so we're must looking be 40 plus there. years ago yeah. yeah and i mean he um you could tell again i mean sadly i suppose although um you know we've seen this in a few different places in in the cafes that, and bars that we've been in you know it was clear from his conversation as i was trying to keep up that you know he was quite repetitive and um mm. you know obviously maybe some sort of um uh, deterioration perhaps there of, of his um, memory and so on but again very engaging guy you know sp- chatted away to me for a mm. bit at one point then he produced the uh, homemade uh, plum liquor which he brought over to the table oh, wow. and this There's was about like issue. I think it was about 11 in the morning or you know, <laughs> half 11 in the morning and I was like yep that would be lovely thanks I mean I'm a big fan of Umeshu so oh, I didn't golly. resist too hard but uh, yeah just a nice little gesture you know um, what's and, interesting and though of, is given given his age because we've you know we've been uh, to so many places where the owners are up in that age range and um, often the, the cafes are really feeling it. You can you can feel the age, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. A place like Miles, for example, uh, some other joints like that. But but um, Kohien looks, you know, it's it's uh, completely spick and span, 
And um, as I said, there were customers there when I was there, and I don't remember there being anyone helping him. Maybe he had a wife or a part-timer in the back. I don't remember, but um, he keeps the place, you know, in perfect shape. And it's definitely still open. I checked. Um, it says it's open every day of the year, which is, again, unbelievable. Because if you've been up to Yamagata, you know what the winters are like there. You don't mm. want to be walking around at 7 in the morning to open a cafe because yeah. you're going to be dying from the cold. Um, but I guess this is a place where this guy is going to be until his last day no doubt about it for sure yeah i mean i just so happy it was one of those places i mean i could be lazy sometimes and think oh i can't be bothered and i mean it was one of those things when i walked away from it having spent an hour there i just was so delighted that i'd made the mm. effort to kind of do that extra um sort of deep dive and, and check it out um on the way to the next place that we're going to visit which of course is what james Oh, the absolutely wonderful Octet. A um, <laughs> little bit of an Easter egg. We mentioned the owner of the wonderful Octet because we met him in Yokohama when we were at the Marshmallow Cafe. When we were in Marshmallow talking to the owner there, the chatty uh, Joe Fasan, all of a sudden, uh, a guy about his age walks in and they greet each other. You know, oh, he's Sashiburi, long time no see. And uh, he introduces us to Mr. Aizawa, who runs Octet up in Yamagata, Yamagata yeah. Prefecture. And do you remember, Philip, I said, you know, because we exchanged business cards and I was like, oh, I didn't realize there was a jazz cafe way up there in the mountains. He said, oh, you must come visit one day. We'd love to have you come That's take right, pictures. Yeah. And, and as we were uh, talking afterwards, I was like, Philip, man, when the hell are we ever going to get up to Yamagata? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. And sure enough, um, I have been back there uh, twice since then. And you also made it up again. We went there separately. Um, but Octet absolutely stupendous place one of my top 10 for sure uh, a small two three minute walk from yamagata station next to a very dilapidated playground uh, with rotting playground equipment telling you again this is a city that is really dying like a lot of rural J japanese cities are and yet octet uh, still remains open i think it is except for genius the place with the single most records inside it he's got 80 8000 records inside really? this very small space which you can see if you're looking at the pictures it's not a big joint at all it only seats about maybe 12 to 15 um, so it's just covered with records including a few boxes of where he's selling some old stuff um, um, and you can see from the face of Aizawa-san, absolute superstar, remembered me the first time I went in, even though we had just chatted for a minute at the cafe in, in Yokohama. I hadn't called him before I went up there. And we sat and we had a good talk for about an hour or more. And exactly the same conversation like we had with Nogishi-san in Mokuba, um, or as we get to other places, he also helped set up gigs uh, in the northern part of Japan back in the day. So um, I would say Octet is, is definitely one of my favorite places. It's covered in wood, it's got the paintings, the records, everything about it's just perfect. Yeah, I mean, I love the uh, entrance um, in particular. You know, first of all, coffee and booze. Um, no need for any any more sophisticated marketing than that. Obviously, jazz as well. So jazz, coffee, booze. I mean, there you go. There's your holy trinity. Well, uh, also, you the, can, that, that great 1965 uh, cube sign with key coffee and jazz yeah, octet on yeah. it. I mean, how much would you pay to have that in your house? I would absolutely yeah. love it. You can, a uh, little cheeky self-portrait of me there in the door. 
for the more observant among us. And then this over to the right of the door, James. How would how how would we translate this jazz gakuru? Well, I, I can't remember. What does it say on top of that? Because I don't I think, know. I'm trying to read it now. That, yeah, it's because jazz gakuru something. just means jazz is here, which yeah. is a really cool sign anyway. Um, but I'm not, I can't quite, it looks like it might be katakana, the, the script for the phonetic script in Japanese yeah. for foreign words. It's it, karo it something, like I think. So uh, if, yeah. if there's anyone listening who is in Yamagata or is uh, a frequent customer of Octet, maybe you can uh, hit us up there and uh, just gently push that tree to the side so uh, we can read the rest of that sign. But yeah, I mean, again, Octet, what, what can you say? I mean, you've kind of, you've really hit the nail on the head there. Gorgeous owner, beautiful place, really cozy, very quite clean and well maintained, mm. but you know has a really old school uh, feel to it. And um, I spent a, about an hour there waiting for the train. They were very concerned that I was going to miss the train back to Tokyo. He remembered us from Marshmallow, and mm. um, uh, you know, which again was I think two three years previously. So that was really nice in itself. And and we had a bit of a chat that guy who inexplicably uh, is dressed as a businessman but was in here at like two o'clock in the afternoon having a drink <laughs> uh, seemed quite uh, bemused by the whole project and the fact that we'd visited all these places and photographed them uh, and uh, I remember he seemed to be quite a big Zoot Sims fan wasn't that the, isn't that his thing? Yeah, yeah he is and I think that explains his relationship with uh, Joe Fusan in Marshmallow in Yokohama because Joe Fusan's label had put out some Zoot Sims albums back okay. in the 1960s 70s and 80s so maybe that's how they hooked up um i know that an octet like a lot of other old jazz cafes he used to do the listening parties so you know customers could bring in the records maybe new records that they just picked up and uh, around a theme it could be you know a hard bop night or it could be zoot sims night or something like that um one of the other things i really liked about octet was you can see from the portrait of him not just his beautiful smile but you can see the flyers uh hanging up on uh, on the shelf next to him yeah. for upcoming gigs um, you know, some of the cafes, the actual music selections, uh, which is something that we're going to have to go into on a further podcast in a lot more detail because we tend to not always go that deeply into it. But a lot of the cafes, you know, may be stuck in the past, depending on when the the owner's uh, record collection sort of stops. You know, we've talked to guys who basically said, oh, I gave up buying records after Fusion, for example. So they've yeah, got yeah. nothing past like 1972 or 73. Um, but um, Aizawa-san is still really into contemporary jazz as well and he even plays it in the cafe which is records that you're not always going to be able to hear in a Japanese jazz cafe um, and the last thing I've got to say about him was you know so I mentioned uh, Yamadera the mountain temple in Yamagata prefecture so after I had climbed that up and down so you know 8,000 steps or so um, and made it back to the station dropped into octet and uh, obviously looked a little worse for wear. So he asked me where I'd been. And I said, well, you know, I just climbed the temple. So I, I think I need a coffee or something. He's like, are you crazy? You can't have a coffee after climbing the temple. That's insulting. You have to have some whiskey. So there he poured go. me a free whiskey. And, you know, hey, well, yeah, I'm not going to turn it down, right? So, you know, props to him for just being such an ace guy. Well, we're 20-odd episodes in, and I'd say that's the first time we've any record of you being worse for wear from physical exercise. <laughs> so, you know, fingers See, crossed for I, another one I, before it, episode 50. It, it's because I walk quickly, Philip. I walk quickly and I carry a heavy shoulder bag. It keeps me in shape. You should try it. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, thoughts, please, um, on a postcard or via social media on that last comment. Okay, so... Um, 
that's kind of octet and uh i fired back down to tokyo uh on the bullet train that you mentioned after this so yeah we're kind of jumping around a little bit and some of these places obviously we've been to separately and other places we've been together and this final place today is absolutely somewhere that we went together and we're sort of edging closer now uh towards the third episode of this series the final place we're going to talk about today we took what must be what was it a four-hour shinkansen or so from tokyo station uh, and i remember when I arrived up, I think you'd stayed overnight previously, uh, the previous night. And when I arrived there, I think it was one of those moments when I came out of the station and realized where I was, I kind of thought to myself, this is mental. Like, are you actually <laughs> taking like a four and a half hour train ride just to go and visit a jazz place to photograph it on a Saturday morning after working all week? And we should, and we then, should mention that uh, Ichinoseki is a uh, city in uh, Iwate Prefecture, northeast coast of Japan. Maybe not the most scenic place in the world. I'd say uh, that's generous. But, I mean, again, I just had this moment of, like, this epiphany where I was like, this is actually properly mental. But luckily, didn't get back on the train. <laughs> I mean, I'd come that far. So, um, moseyed around. I think we met in the in the sort of rotary area around the uh, front of the station and we headed up I think by taxi up to the place called Royce um, and it and must Royce have been Royce is not a place that we knew anything about no, like, nothing you know, usually absolutely we've nothing. done our, a lot of research about places or people have told us about places but this was one that you and I were both 100% blind not knowing whether you know was it going to be open was it going to be good did it still exist and uh, what what did we find <laughs> what did we find as we walked up to Royce well, I mean, it, it again, if you look at the building itself, like this, it's the only thing around it that looks like anything like this. So the rest of the surrounding areas, all just regular suburban houses. And then you have this incredible jazz cafe just plonked right in the middle of it. And we went in again. The guy was sort of like, what, what, what? <laughs> when well, we first well, turned I should, up. I should mention, I should mention first that, you know, so you, you were getting out of the taxi and we had a friend of mine uh, with us who, of course, yeah. American, an American, our good pal, Justin, who lives up uh, in this prefecture. So he was coming with us um, again. He doesn't know anything about the jazz cafe world, but he knew about the project. So we were hanging out. So I rang, went up to ring the bell and he came out and he just looked at me and clearly there's not a lot of foreign people you know or western people in this town and uh he said oh i haven't opened the shop yet because on the right side of the building and you can see that from your picture of the front of the building on the right side is a small little liquor store where he sells wine and a couple that's other right things. that's right yeah on and the other i side. said no 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 we came for the jazz cafe are you open and and again he just looked at me like you came for the jazz cafe and i was like yeah and then you and justin walked in and uh for people who do not know us i should say that uh, the three of us while not tall by the standards of our country are, are probably considered a little bit tall in japan so early saturday morning this guy is probably just you know getting dressed getting the shop ready and he's got three tall westerners barging in saying hey we came for some coffee and the, to listen to some jazz records uh so he was he was just astonished but to his credit and he turned out to be one of the kindest dudes um that we've met on our trip he opened up the place had us come in and sit down and what did we find when we went and walked in i mean just have a look at that audio system 
absolutely mind-numbing the thing that he's put together in here. Well, now there's a lot going on. So he he was he was back and forward and doing a lot of kind of different stuff, if I remember. And we were kind of positioned on these three interview chairs that you can see in one of the pictures there. And then I was up and down trying to to photograph. But one thing I and I got the sense as well that he was constantly trying to slip away from the camera or something. But I managed to catch him a couple of times at work. But I do remember very distinctly him saying, and again, if there's audio files listening, you know, please feel free to correct us. But I'm fairly sure that he said this, these speakers, he said there's only three or four sets of these in the world. One of which, ironically, considering the first place that we visited this week, was in Abbey Road Studios oh, in London. Right. I forgot that, yes. I forgot. Right? No, 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 you, you're completely right. Yes, you're completely right. He did go into that. And I remember, we, I remember Justin and I just looked at each other like, you got to be kidding me, man. Like, how yeah. did this guy get that? And it was just, what was really crazy was that, you know, l- look at the way that the speakers are all set up, okay? And he's got the sort of sound paneling in the wall. And then look at the way that those chairs are sitting, just three chairs. That's mm-hmm. the only furniture in the whole joint, by the way. There's just those three <laughs> That's chairs. Right. That's okay? right. So if you were with someone you didn't know, you're going to be sitting like right next to them like you're on an airplane, and they're facing the speakers. I mean, clearly this is this guy's living room, and he just decided to open it up as a cafe because yeah. it doesn't, in no way does it look anything like a commercial establishment. He's got the little liquor store room on the right side of the building, and then he's got this, and in the background you did get a picture of his sort of office space. So I had assumed that, you know, this was just his listening space. And for whatever reason, he decided to open it up. God knows who goes there. Uh, because as we said, this is really far away from even, you know, a very tiny station, Ichinoseki. Um, and yet people have written back to us saying they've been there or they knew about it because of the audio system. So word of his audio system is definitely spread around the sort of like audio wonky people in Japan, in the yeah. magazines and whatnot. And it even got into one of the English language blogs. So, you know, clearly, um, clearly he's got something very special going on. Yeah, I mean, there's a rather cryptic sign outside as well, which I've just noticed for the first time. So obviously we have the wine, which you mentioned. Uh, but then below there, there's something that says personal computer system Royce. <laughs> What's that all about? I don't know. I don't know. What What do you think that could mean? I don't even know. I must have, I completely missed that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was knocking out computers at one point or something in the town. Well, I mean, it's funny because he's got this sort of like half button shirt and tie. It looks like he could be an IT guy, but but he was really, really (laughs) old, you know? And I I think he had, I remember he did say that, you know, he was, he was retired from whatever previous job he'd had. He was retired. The, the, the sort of liquor business was a family business that he would have probably taken over either from his parents or an older brother or something like that. But, uh, the jazz was all his and the audio was all his. So I, my assumption was just that, you know, after retiring, he took over this shop and converted it into his listening room and then a cafe. It, it didn't really 100% uh, become clear. He was going back and forth, but a lot of that was because he took like, I think we got our coffee after about 40 minutes. It wasn't quick. Um, you, you, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be too thirsty. No, I think it was the first no, which was fine day because too, we were so. just enjoying that. We were just enjoying the, uh, the 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 music and just sort of you know you were getting around to take some pictures. Um, but it was curious as well. All the English sort of notes left on the stone wall there too. Um, I didn't yeah. get a picture of that myself. I'm glad you got that one. Uh, there's also just uh, on the photograph of the entrance where there's the Max Roach uh, Clifford Brown uh, record in a frame. 
just next to that, I don't know, I never noticed it before, but there's something that looks to all intents and purposes like Ron Carter's business card. Wow, I don't remember. Jeez. I mean, is that a business card? It does it's not I, a ticket. I mean, it, so. it looks like it Unless looks it's a like a business stub, card, but, but uh, no, it I mean, why would it say Birdland? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a, a ticket to me, but uh, anyway, so there you go, wrong card. It, just it, stuck it, up with a drawing pen, <laughs> like you do. do you know? Well, maybe maybe he went, geez, man, I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I missed that when we were there, because if he'd gone to Birdland in New York, that would have been really interesting. I mean, you know, clearly, if he'd gone to New York, he, it, it's a place he would have gone, Birdland or the Vanguard or wherever, right? So, um, I'm, but it doesn't look like a ticket stub. It definitely does look like no, a No, I don't think it is. Yeah, Ron yeah. Carter, if you're listening, could you let us know? Send us a business card, Meishi. Yeah, what, what, what's your business card doing on the wall of Royce, of all places, in Ichinoseki? We'd like oh, to by, know. By the way, you, you, you didn't notice as well the clock. Yeah. I mean, clearly, it was not, <laughs> it I was not 4.40 a.m. when we went there. It's seen better days. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing place. Absolutely astonishing place. And again, just uh, as I've said many, many times now, I'm probably bored people saying it, but... It just shows the sheer variety and depth of this culture that exists, and not only in major urban areas and things like that, but actually just in the most random um, suburban and rural settings. And yet, you know, these places are still functioning. And like you said earlier, will continue to function until the owner is no longer able to run them. And uh, yeah, what an amazing, amazing place. Oh, yeah. I, just, I mean, do you, we couldn't believe it because this was like, we. it was early in the morning, the first of a of a long day of wandering around. And I almost felt like, well, I mean, how's it going to get any better than this, you know? So, yeah, you're right. It was a long day. And uh, those of you who are listening to last week's episode, I think this was the first of about seven mm. or eight places in one day so mm. we kind of got an early start on it and uh and he was such yeah. a such a cool dude because he insisted on driving us back to the station rather than having us call a taxi or you know get lost on the 20 to 25 yeah. minute walk um and shout out to a good friend of the show nick dwyer from new zealand now based in tokyo nick is a a very well-known um music uh, presenter, DJ, uh, producer, does a lot of different stuff, now based in Japan. He went up to Royce, and I had told him while going up to Ichinoseki City, go a little bit early and don't forget to go to Royce. And uh, he texted afterwards and said, my God, that's all he wrote. There we go. <laughs> my God. That kind of Which sums it up. Which perfectly sums it up, yeah. And uh, talking of gods, um, he did drop us. He he didn't actually drop us to the station. I think he drove us directly to the next place that we're going. And this is the place that we've kind of been building up to for the last two episodes. And of those of you who are familiar with the project or indeed jazz joint culture, uh, the place that we were going after this was the incomparable, I would say, Basie. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background before we wrap things up this week, Basie is probably the the name of the jazz joint that we've heard most throughout this project, almost without fail. Every single place that we have been into, uh, the owner has at some point either referenced Basie or asked us, have we been to Basie? And until this day, unfortunately, we had to say that we hadn't. But I, I, I was aware that I was going to be leaving Japan not long after this. And I knew for a fact that we had to make it to Basie before that happened. And uh, the guy drove us down into town, took us round to Basie. And I, if I'm not mistaken, actually, James, he, we kind of invited him in and said, you know, would you like to come in and have a drink from a, uh, dr- have a drink with
with us, and he made a slightly cryptic comment <laughs> that involved <laughs> if those t- if he ever met that owner again, it wouldn't end well because something had happened at some point in the past that featured a glass ashtray being thrown at somebody's head. And so we kind of just thought, okay, fair enough. Thanked him for the ride. And off he went back to Royce. Yeah, it's, um, we ent- it's, we, it's, a, we, it's a jazz cafe owner thing, Jake. You, you know, just, just forget it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so we're, that's where we're going to leave you this week. Uh, we're going to leave you at the door of Basie. Uh, we were so excited to finally be there. Uh, and we can't wait to tell you about it in next week's episode. Um, so we're going to leave things there for today. That's the second of a three-part series called Heading North to Meet the Dawn. The Dawn, of course, as you probably figured out now, is the uh, incredible Swifty Sugawara, who is the owner of Basie and Jazz Joint Legend. James, until next week, uh, it probably just remains uh, for me to thank Brian, as always, for his patience with me and his assistance with the audio. Thanks to Louis Lastic for giving us our theme music for free. Anything else to say, James? Be safe. Talk to you next week. And watch out for all that traffic there in Dublin. I hear that it's uh, you know pretty scary out there on the mean streets. Yeah. Can I just say to anyone listening to finish up as a postscript, if you can hear that traffic and it's driving you mad... It's nothing to how mad it's driving me. And it makes me realise that when we started this podcast in the depths of lockdown, it was a nice quiet street out there. I live in the city centre of Dublin and it's driving me bloody mad now how many cars and bikes are going up and down. If you are a supporter of the programme and would like to uh, send over some financial support, we will send you an unedited version of this recording where you can hear Philip's lovely Irish brogue let loose with a torrent of profanity. I thought you were going to say someone could send us a for some money to buy some soundproofing for this <laughs> bloody house. But anyway, um, fingers crossed. Um, uh, you can't hear it. And if you can, I do apologize uh, in advance. Actually, not in advance because the, that's the end of the episode. So until next week, James. Ciao. Ciao.